The question before us today is, are we prepared for the coming of the Lord? Uh, lots of people think being nice is a good way to uh, be ready to meet with God. Uh, you'll hear it sometimes at funerals. Uh, so-and-so was a good person. I'm sure they're watching down on us with a smile. And so being decent is thought to be uh, enough to be ready to meet the Lord. Well, then there's the thought that God doesn't mind much what we do. Uh, a she'll be right sort of attitude. You know, God loves everyone, wouldn't harm a fly. He's terrific. So you don't need to worry too much about getting ready to meet him. He's ready to meet you as you are. It's all okay. Or then there's the anxious, worried, filled with doubt way of preparing for the coming of Christ, where you never know if you're ready to meet him. You think you, you have to be good enough for God to accept you, and you're trying really hard. The trouble is you're not sure how good is good enough. And so you live in constant fear of not being ready, never sure if you have done enough. But last week we saw that Luke spoke about certainty. So can we be certain, calm and composed about being ready to meet the Lord Jesus? Can we have certainty in this? Well, why don't we let Luke tell us? And it all starts with a humble priest and his wife. Verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So it starts off with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're presented to us here as true blue Jews. Uh, Zechariah is a priest. He's descended from the very first priest of Israel, from Aaron. His wife is a descendant of Aaron as well, and they're blameless before the Lord. So they've got the right bloodlines. They love and they fear the Lord their God, but, verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. For a wife to be barren back then and to not have children was considered a disgrace, possibly even a punishment from God. But Zachariah and Elizabeth were blameless, so it's not a punishment, which means her disgrace is all the more painful. And we should be, as we're reading our way through Luke, we should be wondering why Elizabeth is like this. But already in the text, we're given some clues that something big maybe is going down. Because there's a number of times in the Old Testament when God uh, has enabled barren women to have children. Uh, and there's some, some, some similarities between them and Elizabeth. For example, uh, Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel, she was a righteous woman, she was barren, but God gave her a son, Samuel. And Hannah sent Samuel to the temple to be brought up by the priest, Eli. Now, if Elizabeth has a son, he would grow up in the temple because his dad, Zechariah, is a priest. Now, Hannah's son, Samuel, went on to become a prophet of the Lord associated with no one less than King David. Then there's Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis. Uh, like Elizabeth, Sarah was barren. And also like Elizabeth, Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing. But then God gave Sarah a son, Isaac, who was the very beginning of the promised people of God. Hard to be more significant than being associated with the promises to Abraham. And so already Luke's portrayed Elizabeth in terms of Sarah and Hannah, and maybe, just like them, Elizabeth will bear a son who will be associated with these grand promises of God. Maybe something big is going down. Maybe. We'll have to keep reading. 
Verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, at this stage, it doesn't seem as if anything big is about to happen. Uh, Though for Zechariah, this was a reasonably big day. Uh, His division of priests was on duty. He was serving as a priest and he's been chosen by lot to burn incense. Now, the burning of incense was uh, only done by priests in the temple and it was most likely a symbol of the people's prayers to God. Now, this certainly fits in with verse 10. Verse 10, when the time came for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So the scene here is well set for us to hear Zechariah speak to God. He's burning incense. We're expecting to hear the prayers of Zechariah. Maybe he's going to ask God for a child, given what we've just read in verse 7. Whatever it is, we're expecting to hear Zechariah speak to God, which makes verse 11 very jarring. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now notice that we were all set to hear Zechariah speak to God, and it turns out that he was praying, but Luke doesn't give us what Zechariah had to say to God because the really big news is what God had to say to Zechariah. Something really big is going down. We thought it might be on the cards given verses 5 to 7. In the next few verses, our suspicions, they are confirmed. But to understand the next few verses, we need to understand a bit of Old Testament background. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet. His name was Malachi. And he had spoken of this coming day of the Lord. And on this day of the Lord, Malachi said that God would come and he would crush the enemies of his people. The wicked would be trampled down and they would fall under the judgment of God. God's faithful people, though, would rise up and be restored. Before that great and dreadful day, though, Malachi spoke of the prophet Elijah coming back. Now, at the time of Malachi, Elijah was long gone, but God said he would send him again to get Israel ready to meet with God. Here's what Malachi said. It'll come up on the screen for you. Malachi said, see, uh, this is from the word of the Lord, Malachi, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So what we've got is before the day of the Lord, Elijah's going to come, he's going to return and he's going to attempt to turn the hearts of Israel back to God. If Israel fail to turn back to God, God will strike them with a curse. If they do turn back, Israel would rise up and be restored. Now at the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's been four or five hundred years since these words of Malachi. And that's a long time to wait for the day of the Lord. It's a long time to wait for your enemies to be done away with. A long time to wait for the glorious promises of the kingdom of God. But the wait was just about to be over. The something big that was going down was nothing less than this coming day of the Lord. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were to be caught up in it all. Their son John was to be the long-awaited Elijah who would prepare Israel for the coming of God. So pick it up in uh, verse 16, Luke 1, verse 16. As I read, listen for the echoes to Malachi 
as we listen to what the angel of the Lord says about John. Verse 16. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was to be the Elijah to turn the hearts of God's people back to him so that they'd be ready for when he arrived. And instead of being crushed, they'd be saved because you need to be ready for the day of the Lord. Barack Obama arrived in Australia last week and as you can imagine there were massive preparations being made by lots and lots of people in order to get ready for him. Uh, for his flying visit to Darwin I found out that 37 specialist New South Wales police officers were sent up to help with security. Up to a dozen FA-18 Hornets were hovering around Canberra and Darwin. His bulletproof car was flown in before he arrived. Then there's the honorary dinner, and you can imagine all the preparations there, the joint sitting of Parliament, the school that he visited. We know how to get ready for when someone important's coming, don't we? Basically, we make things safe for them, and we make things look good on the outside. Interestingly, getting ready for God involves neither of those things. No need to make things safe for God. That's laughable. He can look after himself. And there's no need to make things look good on the outside. Because God's not interested. So how would John get Israel prepared for the Lord? How would he get them ready for Jesus? In verse 17 we're told, he will turn their hearts. In other words, it's about what's on the inside. People's attitude to God. People's desire for God. Their humility before him. Their gratitude to God. This is what needs to be sorted out in order to be ready for the day of the Lord. And so as we keep reading on in Luke, we should one question we should be asking is, was Israel ready? But there's another question, are we ready? And we'll get to that one in a moment. But first, were God's people ready back at the time of John and Jesus? Well, sadly, Zechariah himself wasn't. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Zachariah, he wasn't ready for this news. He wasn't anywhere near on the same page as God for this one. And so he suffered a mild dose of God's judgment. He was unable to speak until John was born. Zechariah wasn't ready, and as we keep reading on in Luke, sadly, neither was Israel ready for the coming day of the Lord. Turn across with me in Luke to chapter 13. Chapter 13. In this chapter, Jesus, he laments, he weeps over Jerusalem because Jerusalem wasn't ready for him when he came to them. He wishes that they had been, but they weren't. Pick it up in verse 34, chapter 13, verse 34. It's Jesus who's speaking. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, 
your house is left to you desolate. The Lord Jesus came to them. He longed for them. But Jerusalem, Israel, they were not willing. Now the day of the Lord, remember, is about God coming to judge his enemies and then to raise up his people. Zechariah wasn't ready, so he got a mild judgment. What about Israel, though? For their rejection of the Lord Jesus when he came among them, what would God do to them? Two acts of judgment. And the first is very surprising. Because instead of Israel bearing the judgment of God for their rejection of him, Jesus stood in their place. The day of the Lord is about God's enemies being crushed. And instead of Israel being crushed, Jesus took their place and was crushed for them. The day of the Lord arrived when Jesus died on that ugly cross. There the sins of God's enemies were judged. On that dark day, the wrath of God fell on the Lord himself. He was crushed. He was trampled down, crucified, dead and buried. The great and awful day of the Lord, Jesus endured it for God's enemies, even Israel herself. God's second act of judgment on Israel, though, was to reject them as his people. Uh, For centuries, they had enjoyed almost the exclusive right of being the precious people of God. If anyone wanted to belong to God, they had to become an Israelite. But for not being ready when the Lord himself came among them, God judged them by rejecting them. In the words of Christ from Luke 13, Israel's house is left desolate. Being one of God's people is not about being an Israelite anymore. So then what about us? If the great and dreadful day of the Lord has come and gone with Christ's death, does this mean you and I don't have to worry? There is no day of the Lord for us to get ready for. Not exactly. Because the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord having begun with Christ's death, but it'll finish when Christ returns. Christ is coming back to judge the world. On that day, he will finally and fully execute the day of the Lord. Sin will be completely eradicated. Sinners will be eternally destroyed, permanently under the judgment of God, forever with no escape from the violent fury of God Almighty. Christ is coming back. The great and dreadful and final day of the Lord. And the question for us this morning is, are we ready for that day? Because it's hard to get ready. Since we're all sinners... And Christ is coming to destroy sinners. So to be ready, what we need is a safe place to hide from the fire of God's wrath. If only there was such a place. In the middle of a raging bushfire like Black Saturday a couple of years ago, there's panic, there's chaos, there's destruction, there's fear, confusion and death. And one sure place of safety. The place of safety is where the fire has already burnt because it can't burn there twice. Uh, Gary and Janice Hughes were caught in the King Lake fires on our back Saturday and in their final life and death decision, they were faced with a choice. They could stay with their house and die. They could drive their car up the driveway but probably die in, at the gate in the flames or they could stay in the thin strip of land that had already been burnt. Gary Hughes described it like this, and I quote, In the end, it's not a choice. I mean, you're driven by, you know, survival. 
when we got to that blackened spot, we just sat where it was safe. The one safe place in a bushfire is where the fire is already burnt. The one safe place on the final day of the Lord, the one safe place from the fire of God's fury is to stand where God's fury has already burnt. And that place is Jesus himself. Because he's already gone through the fires of the day of the Lord. When he died on that cross, he endured the wrath of God. And so if you stand with Christ, you're safe from God's wrath because it won't strike there twice. We can be ready for the day of the Lord because Jesus has already gone through it. So will you take your stand with Jesus? Will you come before him in humility and in gratitude? Will you trust him to save you? Will you beg him for forgiveness? Will you turn from your sin and turn in your heart to him? In the end, it's not a choice. I mean, you're driven by, you know, survival. The only way we can survive the coming day of Christ, the coming day of the Lord, is by Christ and by his death. It's only by Christ that we can be ready So please, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure if you are, it's something you want to be sure about. Make sure you talk to someone about this. If for nothing else, just to find out some more. But look, today is a great day to get ready for that day. Come and chat to me. We'll do business with God together. But look, for many of us here this morning, we've already asked Christ to make us ready for that last great day. And this is a good reminder for us, isn't it? to marvel at Christ and what he's done for us, to look forward to him coming back for us because we know we'll be safe and to remember that Christ really, truly, he has made us ready. Because even Christians, we can find ourselves uncertain, can't we, of whether we're ready to meet Christ. We know the theory of Jesus dying for us. He took God's judgment for us. He's he's already endured God's anger for us. He's forgiveness of us. We know the theory But we also know our sin and that we still sin and we feel like failures. And we wonder if God really will take us. Can God really accept us? And it fills us with doubt and uncertainty about meeting God. But there's a big problem when we think like this. And the problem is we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at what we've done when instead we should be looking at Christ and what he's done. And the simple historical fact that he has already died under the wrath and judgment of God. He has already endured the day of the Lord for us. He is the one safe place that we can go. And so he fills us with certainty about meeting God. And I reckon that's a reason to praise the Lord. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus came and he came to die under your wrath, under your judgment. He came to face the fire of your fury and he did it for sinners just like us, that we might be spared, that we might be saved if we take our stand with Jesus. So, Father, we beg you, please, that all our days we would gladly take our stand with Jesus. He would be our Lord. He would be our saviour. And so, Father, he would be the one who will have made us ready for the great day when he returns, that we might live to praise you today, tomorrow, that day, 
and forever. Father, we praise you for Christ and we pray in his name. Amen.